Hey everybody and welcome to Breaking Biotech. Thanks for being with me here today. My name is Matt and if you like the show you can help me out by clicking the like or subscribe button. You can also help out the show by donating using the tip jar link in the description below. So I'm glad to be back and I have an exciting show for everybody today. We've got some spicy stuff to get into and I'm not going to spoil the surprise just yet but the main story we're going to talk about today is a company called BioXL Therapeutics and they're a company that's gotten a lot of attention on Twitter and then this past weekend we saw a nice dip in the stock so I thought it'd be a good opportunity to take a look into them and see what they have to offer and I kind of like what I see so we're going to get into the details of that and their AI technology and their focus really on CNS products or cancer so that'll be the main story today and then as usual we're going to look at a bucket of stocks that I like or ones that I follow to some capacity and give some pipeline updates some regulatory updates and that should be good for today so before I get into it, I also want to thank everybody. Appreciate all the support, the likes, the shares, the subscribes. Uh, I love you all. Please keep it up. The numbers continue to climb, which I love to see. So that's uh, a great thing. And with that, let's just get right into it. And the first thing I want to talk about is a company called Trevina, ticker symbol TRVN. And they're trading now at around a market cap of $306 million. And they were trading quite a bit higher than that before they did an offering. But the reason for all the motion is that the FDA approved their candidate drug, Olaceridine, in adults for management of acute pain severe enough to require an IV opioid analgesic. So this is a company that I've held for quite a while now. I expected that they would get uh, approval eventually, but things didn't really work out that way originally with the FDA with their first NDA submission. So the FDA sent them a complete response letter saying that they were not going to approve their drug for marketing. And they gave Trevina some clear guidelines on what they needed to do in order to resubmit. Trevina was able to get all of that together. And what I was saying at the time is it's trading at a pretty reasonable price and I expected to sell for quite a premium. So it hung around the $1 mark for maybe a whole year. And then finally on this approval, I mean, the stock did rally up until the announcement, but once the approval came, the stock shot up to maybe 330, 320 a share, and I was able to get out at $3.19, making a pretty nice profit. But we're gonna look at the number of shares I had. Unfortunately, wasn't enough to really allow me to retire, but I did make a nice return, so I'm happy about that. Unfortunately, though, for people who held past this announcement, Trevina did do an offering of 21 million shares at a share price of $2.30, uh, approximately worth $50 million in profit for the company. So this will sustain them for, you know, whatever amount of time they need in order to continue the commercialization process. But for me, I plan on staying on the sidelines from now on. I'm happy with the profit I made, and I'm not really interested in buying into the company that has a very costly launch ahead of them uh, in order to commercialize this drug successfully. So that's Trevina. Good success story. Happy to hear that. Let's move on to Novavax, ticker symbol NVAX, and their market cap is trading right now at around $9 billion. And the latest news that we heard from them is that they released phase one SARS-CoV-2 vaccine data. They're competing with all the other companies I covered for a SARS-CoV-2 vaccine. And what we saw was that both the five microgram and 25 microgram adjuvanted doses generated peak geometric mean titers of greater than 1 in 3300. And I think that's comparable to what we saw with the Moderna vaccine, as well as the AstraZeneca vaccine. So, you know, for me, Novavax is going to be just as competitive as the other two right now. And I believe they may have seen some kind of muted T-cell response like the other ones, um, but they are able to generate this antibody response. So, 
you know, I'm not going to repeat myself on what I said in the other videos, but this is still just phase one data. So it's going to take some time for us to see a very, very big patient population, especially in the patients that are likely to receive the vaccine, which are elderly people and probably young kids. So the safety profile that we see now isn't likely representative of how patients are going to respond in the patients that actually need the drug. But now, one thing that was interesting about the Novavax data release is that one news outlet that we've brought up quite a few times called Stat News uh, tried to get a scoop, pretty much, and release a story just as Novavax was releasing their press release, but they got it wrong. And uh, the journalist, who I'm not going to name, they erroneously wrote that eight patients were hospitalized following severe reactions to the vaccine. And unfortunately, that just wasn't true. So there were some adverse events that happened, just like any other drug, but they weren't as severe to merit hospitalization. And unfortunately, the good people at Stat News, the editors, weren't able to catch this. And the stock price, I think the, the trough and the high, the difference was around $50. So if people had stops in places, there's a good chance that they lost all of their stock when it crashed on this news of the potential hospitalization. So... You know, I've given some commentary on stat news in the past, but for me, I just don't see them as being a very reliable news source. I hate to say the word fake news, but here they were a real culprit of fake news. So I encourage everybody to be careful. And this is something, even if you don't follow stat news, they affected the stock price such that you could have lost a lot of money. So everybody be careful out there. And uh, even with stops, you could get burned pretty bad. So that's Novavax. The next company I want to talk about is TG Therapeutics, ticker symbol TGTX. They're trading at around a 2.8, I think it's higher than this, billion market cap right now. And the news that we heard is the FDA accepted the new drug application for Embralisib as a treatment for patients with previously treated marginal zone lymphoma who received at least one prior anti-CD20-based regimen and follicular lymphoma who received at least two prior systemic therapies. So this isn't really a surprise. We would expect the FDA to accept their application, but the fact that they filed it and everything's looking good is a good thing. The other piece of news that we heard is that the marginal zone lymphoma indication has been accepted for priority review and now has a PDUFA date of February 15th in 2021. Meanwhile, the PDUFA date for the follicular lymphoma indication is June 15th, 2021. So now we have very concrete dates on when these therapies could be approved and then marketed and then TGTX can finally start generating revenue since up to now I think they're not really able to do that. So there's some excitement around that. Other stuff going on, they announced their Q2 earnings report and we saw that they lost a net amount of $52.9 million and their cash and cash equivalents is $275.6 million and this is supposedly going to be good until the end of 2021. But as we know, companies tend to stretch the truth when they talk about their cash runway. For me, though, I'm holding on to a decent position because of the next major catalyst that's coming up in Q4 of this year. And this is the Phase 3 Ultimate 1 and 2 trials, and this is for an MS indication. And if they're able to see positive data here, I could see a big upside in the stock. The market size of multiple sclerosis is very large. And if TGTX can see better data here than, say, traditional therapies, uh, I think that they could become kind of a leader in the space to some capacity. And given that, I think it's worth taking a position here. And I think my average now is like 18 or 19, but I still feel pretty good about it, and we should see the readout coming out soon. So 
that's TGTX. And then the last company I want to talk about before we get to our major story today is Cassava Sciences. And they're trading at around $84.2 million as a market cap, and I think the share price is in threes or something like that. But the news that we heard after their Q2 2020 earnings report is that they plan on reanalyzing their biomarker data, which they released earlier in the year, and it showed basically no difference between the PTI125 group and the placebo in terms of biomarkers in Alzheimer's patients. So what they plan on doing is reanalyzing this biomarker data and representing it in September of this year. And I think what they're also going to do is shed some light on the data for their cognitive endpoint, which we have not seen yet. So there's some hype going on right now about the stock because this reanalysis might show a beneficial effect in the treated group, and there might be a chance that the cognition effects of PTI-125 might come out. Now, it's a very high-risk, high-reward play because given that we've already seen that the data showed no difference, I can't imagine that reanalyzing this data is necessarily going to lead to anything different, but the deadline for this is September 2020. Now, I need to make a caveat here with cassava sciences, and we need to talk about them in more candid terms, I'll say. Basically, here's how I want to explain this. The phase 2b treatment regimen has three arms, placebo, 50 milligram or 100 milligram oral tablets twice daily for 28 continuous days. Now, based off of their 2018 corporate presentation, which you can find right now on the Edgar SEC site, look at their October 4th, 2018 filing, you'll see a nice presentation, and in there you'll see this graphic. And what we see here is a molecule, there's a, some amide groups in it, there's a, a benzene ring, some aromatic stuff going on here, and they say here that PTI dramatically improved brain health in animal models. Now, if we go to their corporate presentation that's available on their website today. There's a list of publications here that show that PTI-125 has some kind of effect in the brain, in rodent studies, in uh, slices of brain that were taken from human cadavers. So all of that seems well and good, but if we look at the chemical compound here and compare that to what's publicly available, we can see here that it matches a, the structure of another molecule identically. And the name of this molecule is lysergic acid, or LSD, the street name being acid. So if we look here, it has the same groups over here, same aromatic structure with the amides and the benzene-looking group. It's identical. And the digging that myself and some other people on Twitter have not really been able to find an answer. So the obvious question is, have any of these side effects been shown in the patients that have been taking this chemical structure, if in fact PTI-125 is LSD? And what they say here in their February 2020 publication of the Phase 2A data is that PTI-125 was safe and well-tolerated in all patients. Now the issue is that the upper limit of LSD dosing is 300 micrograms. And if we go back to the dosing of PTI-125, we're looking at 50 milligram or 100 milligram oral tablets, not just once, but twice daily for 28 days straight. So something's going on here. And I don't know if whoever put this presentation together maybe made a mistake, or if in fact they are doing LSD, but we need some more clarity about what's going on with cassava sciences because something's not right. And it could just be a misprint of this presentation. That's the most likely answer, but we just don't know. 
And for me, I think that the chances of there being a beneficial effect of LSD on Alzheimer's isn't very high. I think there's some evidence out there that uh, the regular doses of LSD, so say in the 20 microgram range, did not show any cognitive benefits in patients that had dementia or Alzheimer's disease. But I think the most critical thing here is that this hasn't come up before, and we should expect that cassava sciences has some kind of answer to why their chemical structure is the same as LSD. So that's cassava sciences, and I want to move on from that and talk about our feature story for today, which is BioXL Therapeutics, ticker symbol BTAI. And they closed on Tuesday... August 18th at $42.09 a share, giving them a market cap of around 940. And their Q2 2020 loss for the quarter is $21.4 million. Their Q2 net current cash is around 52 million, but they did an offering in late July, which was 4 million shares that are around $50 per share, giving them around 200 million in proceeds. And this is gonna give them a cash runway, I would say until mid 2021, but of course, don't put it past the company to raise when they can. So what this company's focused on is using their artificial intelligence algorithm for drug development. And their focus has been on CNS and cancer. They have two lead molecules. One is BXCL501. And this is a sublingual dexmedetamide film that you would put under your tongue. And the molecule itself has been approved for quite a while now, but the current administration regimen is IV and it's only used in certain settings right now. So the molecule itself is an alpha-2 adrogenic receptor agonist, and what BTAI is looking to approve it for is for acute treatment of agitation in especially bipolar and schizophrenia patients, but they're also looking for other indications in like dementia as well as opiate withdrawal. Now, some of the benefits of this molecule here compared to, say, traditionally treated uh, sedation-type molecules like benzodiazepines or opiates is that there's no respiratory depression, but you still get very effective sedation. And as we know with benzos as well as opiates, the respiratory depression is a serious danger in patients that take this either recreationally or under the setting of a, of a doctor. The other thing is that there's no contraindications for dexmedetamide, and there are a lot of contraindications with those other molecules that I said. So there's a lot of benefits here, and also in the formulation they have of sublingual, it can be taken as needed if somebody who has these kinds of, of side effects needs something quickly to recover from the agitation episode that they're having at the time. Now on the cancer side, they're commercializing this other molecule called BXCL701. And this is a proprietary molecule that inhibits dipeptyl peptidase 8 and 9, as well as fibroblast activation protein. And this dual action molecule is being looked at right now for rare cancers, and I'll get into more details on that in a little bit. But to start off with the molecule that I think is the most exciting for them, BXCL501, which is of course the dexmedetamide film, in H1 of 2020, they saw positive phase 3 data in reducing acute agitation in schizophrenia and bipolar disorder patients. They're hoping to file an NDA in Q1 of 2021, and I've done a little bit of modeling, and I'll go through what I think makes sense. Basically, what we know is that around one-third of bipolar and schizophrenia patients suffer from agitation. And now, I wasn't sure if this meant that patients that were treated properly 
and taking their medication properly are still getting this agitation, or whether it was patients that aren't being treated or are not compliant with their medication that have this. So already there's some issues with the, the modeling challenges here. But in the USA, there's 5.7 million patients who have bipolar disorder and 3.5 million that have schizophrenia. The likely number, around a third, that have agitation associated with these are 1.8 million in bipolar or 1.1 million in schizophrenia. Now, for me, I want to cut off two-thirds of these patients since most of them are likely to get some relief with existing therapies. You can imagine that the therapies that exist right now have some effects of controlling the symptoms associated with the disease. So, for me, it makes sense to get rid of two-thirds of these patients since they're likely to get some relief and they might not need an additional treatment, especially if it's costly for treating the agitation. So if we do that, we're left with 594,000 in bipolar and 363,000 in schizophrenia. Now, if we look at the cost of a non-generic bipolar drug per year, you're looking at around eight to $10,000 per year. And the two examples I use here are Riprazidone and Zyprexa. You could look at more if you wanted a more accurate determination. But the other thing too is that this drug only treats one of these symptoms and it's not necessarily a cure for the disease itself. It's just for the agitation and it's gonna be used as an as-needed medication. So we're not really sure how often patients are gonna to need to use this in order to get sort of a regular run rate of when they'll need to fill prescriptions. So for me, I've discounted this pricing model from eight to 10,000 per year to $1,000 per year as an estimate for my model. And so bear in mind, this is just an estimate and there's a lot of, as you can see, challenges associated with modeling this kind of drug. But for me, if we look at this, the max income potential here is around $1 billion per year, or you know, more accurately, I have $957 million. So I think that's kind of a reasonable estimate, but the issue is the stock's trading right now at around that same price. So I might be a little bit too generous with my model, but based off of this, I think it's pretty reasonable. So if somebody's looking at this and I'm clearly missing something, please send me a comment or send me a message on Twitter because I think this is a reasonable estimate of what we could expect as sort of their max penetration. So having said that, there's a couple upcoming catalysts that I think could be huge drivers for the stock, given that I think they're trading right now at a pretty reasonable price. So in Q4 of 2020, we're going to see a readout for agitation in dementia. And as we know, there's around five to six million Alzheimer's disease or dementia patients in the USA, and about 50% of them suffer from agitation. And also, as we know, a lot of these patients don't have great treatment options. They're really left with Dinepazil and a few other ones. And we saw what happened with Axome when their data release came out for agitation in Alzheimer's disease. The stock shot up significantly. So I think BTAI could do a similar thing here, but we'll talk about that in more detail in a second. The next catalyst I wanna bring up is that in Q1 of 2021, they're gonna release data on agitation and opiate withdrawal. And it wasn't very easy for me to get numbers on patients that go through opiate withdrawal per year, but it's still another perk. And if we see positive data in agitation and dementia, there's a good chance that this drug might just be good in agitation in general. So I would expect probably good data here, but I'm looking more closely at just Q4 at a time of being able to sell the stock since I've taken a position today. So just to go over some quick data on what they saw in bipolar disorder for their phase three, and really what we're looking for is an acute effect on reducing agitation. And we see here that at 20 minutes and the high dose that the drug was able to significantly reduce agitation compared to placebo. And this carried forward all the way to 120 minutes. And that was the actual primary endpoint. 
But the benefit here is really that patients can take this and within 20 minutes they're going to start to feel relief. Switching gears here, if we look at BXCL701, and that's the DPP89 and FAP inhibitor, and just to give a bit of a background on those two molecules, dipeptidyl peptidases are traditionally associated with diabetes mellitus, and all of this information started coming out because DPP is involved in cleaving what are called incretins, and specifically GLP-1. And GLP-1 is a very profound insulin secretagogue, so these DPP inhibitors started coming on the scene that are able to maintain insulin secretion for longer than if it wasn't being treated. So I was surprised to see that they're trying to commercialize this because I never really saw it have an application in cancer. But when I looked a bit deeper, I noticed that BTAI actually published an article showing that inhibiting DPP-89 prevents lytic cell death of monocytes and macrophages. And the hypothesis behind here is that if we can prevent that cell death of monocytes and macrophages in a cancer setting, they might be more primed to have a more profound impact in destroying cancer cells in a patient that has cancer. On the other hand, the other molecule that's associated with BXCL701 is an FAP inhibitor. And FAP is related to DPP in function. It's a serine protease, which means it cleaves proteins or peptides. And FAP is associated with high expression on numerous different cancer cell types. So the thought is, if we can inhibit FAP, it might have an effect on preventing protease activity on the surface of the cell. And in that way, it allows maybe T cells or other cells or other molecules to do their proper activity and kill cancer cells. Now, one sort of bearish piece of evidence that we have is that one company tried to commercialize an antibody against FAP. This antibody was called Cibrotuzumab, and it failed in colorectal cancer. But, you know, BioXL might be trying in different cancers, as we see, and I'll get into in just a second. So there might be a potential there. So for this molecule here, the upcoming catalyst, there's two of them in Q4 of 2020. One is a phase 1b2 in combination with Keytruda for prostate cancer, and the other one is a phase 2 trial in collaboration with MD Anderson, and they're looking at basically a basket of solid tumors. And we've seen this in a lot of other companies who do these collaborations with an outside facility, some kind of university or health clinic, and the investigators have accessed all these patients, so they're able to enroll patients that are willing to test this molecule out. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of data we see here, and I think that there's a lot of upside for just this molecule as well. I think a lot of the pricing of the stock right now is associated with the approval and filing of the NDA for agitation in bipolar and schizophrenia, and that there's a lot more upside than there is downside in association with whether the trials are going to be positive or negative. So my verdict here is that it's a buy, and I think it's a buy even at 42 and change. I think my average price is like 41 something, but I think trading below a billion dollars is definitely a buy for now. And I think it's worth buying for those three readouts in Q4. The one for agitation and dementia, and then the two cancer readouts as well. And what I have here is that it reminds me a little bit of the Axome story, but this drug is different in that it's very acute. Axome needs around three weeks of treatment before patients see a difference in agitation associated with Alzheimer's disease. So I could see a role for both really Axome as well as BioXL Therapeutics' treatment, and it would be actually kind of interesting to see if there's some kind of combinatory effect to really make an impact on agitation in dementia or Alzheimer's disease. 
So my expectation here is that if there's positive data in agitation and dementia, because of the huge patient population, I would expect around a 2x return based off of the stock where it is today. And then if it were to drop, I would expect maybe a 25 to 40% decrease. And that is usually just due to uncertainty in general, where if people see that it fails in one of these indications, there might be some concern that maybe it'll fail as well in opiate withdrawal for that readout I mentioned in Q1 of 2020. So that's kind of what I'm going into this expecting, but I do think that the cancer readouts are mostly upside if it goes well, and the downside is relatively limited. So that's kind of what I'm going on right here. And like I said, it is difficult to model, and I wonder if I am missing something with my model for agitation in bipolar and schizophrenia. So if anybody sees anything that I've missed, please let me know. Last thing I want to mention in terms of what's going on in the stock is there are some insider buys. So we saw, and this is all based on fintel.io. You can check that out today if you want. Um, we've seen that three you know, pretty big key players in the company, Peter Mueller, Vimal Mehta, and Frank Oka. These are the chairman of the Scientific Advisory Board, CEO and chairman, and the CSO respectively. All have taken pretty big positions in the company, and they bought this in around mid-2018. And as of yet, we haven't seen that they've done any selling, but you know these filings are obviously delayed, so we wouldn't hear of it until later on. But the other thing I wanna bring up is that there's a pretty big institutional ownership here. Some of the names of the firms, State Street Corp, Artemis Investment Management, BlackRock, Citadel, etc. And if we look at the change of institutional ownership over the last year, we see that there's been a pretty big increase in March and June. Now, obviously, some of this could have been due to the schizophrenia and bipolar data, but I think a lot of these firms are still holding on because the dementia indication would be huge and also these cancer readouts coming up too. So for that reason, I think it's a buy. I think uh, we'll probably do well in this stock, but again, none of this that I'm giving you right now is investment advice. This is all for entertainment purposes, so please do your own due diligence if you're going to look into buying this company. And that's all I got for BTAI. But uh, in the next little while, right now what's going on is the Democratic National Committee, and I think next week is the Republican National Committee. So be aware that the concerns about election stuff is probably going to start to hit the stock market. I think the XBI continues to waver between like 120 and 110. But as we know, both parties have been pretty uncharitable when it comes to the biotech sector. And even though a lot of the vaccine companies have been propping up the XBI as a whole, I think some concerns over maybe a Democrat win or maybe just uncertainty in the election outcome, which we keep hearing more and more about, could lead to some negative pressure on the XBI and the market in general. So I'm a little bit nervous about that, but um, that's pretty much the only thing I'm watching for. Other stuff is the COVID vaccines. We, sh we might see more data in the next little while, so keep your eyes out on that. In terms of a portfolio wrap-up, this is based off of Friday, last Friday, so it's definitely dated, but just some stuff I wanted to bring up is that I sold Trevina at $3.19. The profit from that is around 290 bucks. but the thing I want to point you to is the uh, profit loss was 279%, so very excited about that, even though I only gained a meager uh, 300 bucks in the stock, but still happy to see a win there. And I've not put BTAI in here just yet, but I mentioned on Twitter that I took a position and my average is around um, 41 and change. Overall, I'm sitting at uh, around negative 9% year to date, and that pales in comparison to all the other exchanges, but like I keep mentioning, the back half of this year is my time to shine. So I think things are gonna turn around by the end of the year, 
And we've got a lot of exciting stuff coming up in Q4. So I'm looking forward to getting into all the interesting data that we see. But basically, I'm going to wrap it up there, guys. So I want to thank everybody for watching. Hit the like, subscribe button. And if you're feeling generous, please leave me a donation using the tip jar link in the description below. And if you want to share the show, that would also be awesome. Thanks, everybody, and we'll see you next time.